Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Ashland New Plays Festival Play for Keeps podcast. We're excited to present to you our recording of Mrs. Harrison, a new play by R. Eric Thomas. But before we get started, we're excited to share with you that tickets are now available for our first live stage reading of the 2020 season. We'll be presenting a workshop and reading of the powerful and timely new play, Perseverance, by Callie Kimball. The reading is on Saturday, April 4th at 7.30. Details are on the website, ashlandnewplays.org. We are also thrilled to share with you that our spring fundraiser is a special Ashland New Place Festival theater talk with guest Nataki Garrett, the new artistic director of the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. We hope you'll join us Wednesday, April 22nd at 7.30 in Ashland, Oregon. Go to ashlandnewplays.org for ticket information. Now on to this amazing play. Mrs. Harrison is about two women and one story. At their 10-year college reunion, Aisha and Holly meet by chance. Is this the first time or has it just been a long time? They can't agree. Aisha is a black successful playwright. She's on the cover of the alumni magazine. Holly is a white struggling stand-up comedian and she's only here for free drinks. Aisha's most successful play bears a striking resemblance to the tragic events in Holly's life. Is that a coincidence or is it theft? As a rainstorm interrupts the outdoor reunion, they find themselves trapped inside together. They both have a story they've been telling themselves about what happened all those years ago, and they're both willing to fight for the truth in the present. Our Eric Thomas is an award-winning playwright and humor writer. He is the recipient of the 2017-2018 National New Play Network Commission for the play Nightbird and the 2018 Dramatist Guild Lanford Wilson Award. He is also a senior staff writer at L.com, where he writes the daily humor column, Eric Reads the News. He's a long-running host of The Moth in Philadelphia and Washington, D.C., and his newly released memoir, Here For It, or How to Save Your Soul in America, is out now. Lin-Manuel Miranda said of Eric, pop culture obsessed, Sadaris-level laugh-out-loud funny, our Eric Thomas is one of my favorite writers. In case you missed it, be sure to check out our latest episode right before this one, featuring our Eric Thomas. It's a laugh write of a conversation between him and Hagen Bryce Walker. You'll get a behind-the-scenes look at the playwright's inspirations and personalities. And now, without any further ado, Mrs. Harrison by R. Eric Thomas. Mrs. Harrison, a play by R. Eric Thomas. Characters. Aisha, 32, black, read by Christiana Clark. Holly, 32, white, read by Rachel Crowell. Stage directions read by Grant Lukey. Setting. A well-appointed faculty restroom at a prestigious university, present day. A woman's bathroom. It's an excessively nice room in an administrative building at a prestigious university. Six mahogany stall doors, six white pedestal sinks, warm lighting, a small couch, and a window at the far end. At the other end, an upholstered chair and a tall cabinet with a bouquet of flowers. There's an A-crew pashmina on the arm of the chair. We can hear the sounds of an outdoor party one floor down and a rainstorm coming through the window. There is a pair of feet underneath the door of one stall. Expensive heels. Purchased for the occasion. After a long moment, a voice from within the stall. Holly enters. She stops short, thinking the bathroom is empty. Then she hears the singing. She gently closes the door and waits. She's dressed nicely, if plainly, for a cocktail party. She's probably wearing slacks. She wears a sticker name tag. She holds a cocktail in one hand and a nearly empty glass of wine in the other. She puts the wine and her purse on the cabinet. In doing so, she knocks the wine glass over. She scrambles to set it right and then freezes. Though Holly waits now, when she moves, when she speaks, when she breathes, she is an exposed nerve. Aisha flushes the toilet. Holly reaches into her purse. Aisha emerges from the stall. She is radiant. Everything about her looks custom-made and of the moment. Her dress is a bold color and chic design. Her hair is expensively and elaborately styled. She's stunning. She's effortless. She's imposing. She has a boarding school-bred facility with conversation and a charm that is both beguiling and clearly a veneer. Like Holly, we are watching Aisha now. That doesn't surprise Aisha, but it doesn't make her comfortable either. Holly is transfixed. Suddenly, she's without a plan. She withdraws her hand from her purse. Aisha clocks herself in the mirror and then clocks Holly. She's immediately defensive. She steals another glimpse of Holly in the mirror. 
She softens. She smiles and goes to a sink. Sorry, you caught me. You have a really nice voice. <laughs> oh, God, I didn't even... <laughs> How long have you been in here, girl? I just... Aisha can't get the automatic sink to start. She moves to another. I mean, sometimes I talk to myself and I don't even realize it. <laughs> in there letting these acoustics make me think I'm Beyonce. Now I'm so self-conscious. Don't be. I didn't know you were in here. You're a really quiet peer. You're like a stealth urinator. You have ninja kegels. Aisha is still having trouble with the sink. Holly walks over and waves in front of the sensor. Water comes out. Thanks. She washes her hands for a moment in silence. When she finishes, she looks around for a towel. Holly hands her one from the cabinet. Aisha hesitates and then takes it. Thank you. Holly smiles at Aisha. Aisha finishes drying her hands and looks for the trash can. Holly reaches into the sink and triggers the sensor. The sound of water. Holly withdraws her hand. She reaches down again. Water on, off. On, off. Where's the trash can? Holly picks it up and offers it. Aisha throws her towel away and digs in her purse for a dollar. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm not. What? Uh, I'm, I'm just... Of course! Oh, right! Oh, sorry! I was at a club once during grad school, and I couldn't get one of these sinks to work. The attendant told me that sometimes the sinks gave certain people trouble because the sensors weren't programmed to read darker skin types. She's like, it doesn't know you're a person. That's fucked up. I still wonder if it's true. Where was this? Some club. Austin? Well, Texas. It's another country down there. Mm, okay. Aisha picks up the pashmina. She wraps it around herself and throws a winning smile at Holly. Aisha goes to the door. Holly grabs her suddenly. Oh! You're... You have... Uh, red wine on your... She lifts a corner of Aisha's pashmina. There is a small stain. Oh, heck! How did... This is brand new. Aisha goes to the sink. It won't come on again. Holly approaches. They say club soda is best. She offers her glass. Aisha hesitates and then pours a little on the pashmina. She scrubs it for a second and then stops and smells it. There, there's also vodka in there. Okay. She goes to the cabinet and grabs a towel. She starts to blot. This restroom used to be my little secret. An undergrad. I worked for the provost sophomore year. I used to go all the way down to the basement to use the public restroom until one day I saw her coming out of here. I peeked around her as the door was shutting and gasped. I was like, what is that? The look she gave me. She must have thought I was some kind of backwoods hick going to elementary school barefoot and shit. <laughs> we belong to a country club. Still, I had never seen a restroom this nice in my life. <laughs> I don't know. College makes you kind of a desperate little creature. Scavenging, hoarding, sneaking into places to get free food. I think it's about freedom more than anything else. Nobody here is really that barbaric. You just do it because you can. One time, someone stole all of my sweat from the dorm laundry room. Why? <laughs> Anyway, getting into this little oasis became my heart's desire. Eventually, I realized this building is always open. You just have to enter through the tunnel in the basement of Graven's Hall. Exactly. So this is where I would come when I knew nobody would catch me. It's a lot of trouble to go through just to pee, especially dressed like this. But I figured... Better than out there. I... I came for old time's sake, too. Old time's sake? Oh, I mean, that's why we're here anyway, right? I haven't been back to campus since graduation. I came back last year, just to speak. How things change. But I didn't come here, which, now that I think about it, is a little... Are you having fun? I guess. I don't really know what I was expecting. No, me neither. I... Forgot how many people were in our class. I, I don't really remember anyone. 
I saw a couple girls I knew from the literary journal, but yeah, I... A lot more strangers than I expected. I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> saw you standing by the buffet. By yourself. Smart. It, it was different when I went to my 10-year high school reunion. I guess because we were all kids when we knew each other and now we're adults or whatever. <laughs> I just went to my high school reunion to see who turned out gay. <laughs> Turns out it was no one. What a stupid high school. Just a bunch of straight people talking about straight stuff. Literally talking about babies for three hours, and it was a cash bar. What a stupid high school. I went to prom with a gay guy. Why didn't you have a date? We just went to have fun. It wasn't sad. Neither of us was beating boys back with a stick. <laughs> it was just easier. We had a phenomenal time. We still talk about it. When I went to my high school reunion, my mother warned me, half of the girls are going to be married. Just watch. You're going to be very uncomfortable, which is her way of saying, well, anyway, I went and talked to people, whatnot, and I took great joy in sneaking into the faculty restroom to call my mother. Mama? None of my girlfriends are married. Almost nobody is married, except three guys, and they're all married to other men. <laughs> what a funny world. What kind of high school did you go to? It was a training camp for homosexuals. Really? No. <laughs> Boarding school. I just thought it was funny. A little funny. Was that weird for you? No. Do you think it's weird? No. What? But just funny. <laughs> this is nice, though. Talking. Also, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to pass up an open bar. <laughs> I was ordering two at a time before the rain started. Good idea. Looks like they're all trapped in the tent out there. You're Holly. Right? I'm Aisha? Yeah. I feel bad I didn't wear a name tag, but this is silk, so... Right. People recognized you anyway, though, right? From college? Oh. No. Not really. Not as far as I can tell. That's surprising to me. Is it? But, I mean, you were on the cover of the alumni magazine last year, but... People know who you are. Oh, <laughs> I never know how to gauge that kind of thing, especially outside of New York. I always figure no one has any idea, which is just fine by me, really. I knew. Did you see my play? No. We were in Dr. Wolper's playwriting lab. Oh, my God, Dr. Wolper? <laughs> yes, it was... Uh... Playwriting. Yes. Junior year. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Like eight girls and two guys. Yes. I remember it. That was the lab where the white guy would always come in with stuff about Afghanistan. Dennis Talbot. What I remember most was that all his plays were full of guys sitting on top of tanks, spitting on stage and talking about pussy. And then everything always veered into some sort of jingoistic approximation of a moral. Oh, God, do you remember that discussion we had about him using the term sand nigger? That was insane. A little. God, he was the worst part of that class by far. The whole thing was, well, you remember. Isn't that always the way? There's one person in every workshop who just stomps on your last nerve. He could have written Angels in America verbatim, and I probably would have been like, this is self-pitying white male nonsense. None of the women have any agency. <laughs> I guess he probably felt the same way about me. His written comments were always so terse. Plot is good. I don't really care about Tiana, though. People say the worst things to you. Sometimes. I wonder if he's here. He said he wasn't coming. You keep in touch? Uh, not really. We're Facebook friends, though. Oh. Is he still writing? I don't know. He has a baby on Facebook. Okay. Aisha moves to leave. Holly meets her halfway. 
I guess you showed them. Who? The people in that class? Yeah. I wasn't trying to show them anything. You were great in that class. <laughs> oh, I was? It wasn't difficult. You always had such a strong voice. I was constantly reminded of that. And your comments were... You really knew what you were doing. You, you know how to read a play. Thank you. You're nice. That class was a complicated experience, so... You just took things too hard. No, that's not true. Well, everybody knew that you were the best in that class, even though you were always so nervous. I wasn't nervous. <laughs> Are you still writing? I guess. What do you mean a complicated experience? It doesn't really matter. What kind of things do you write? You never said anything, though. I actually talked about it all the time. The rain picks up outside. Aisha goes to close the window. She sits. That was the first playwriting class I'd taken. I came here thinking I was going to be a novelist or a lawyer, probably a lawyer. But not a playwright. No, I, um, I didn't really have an interest. I wanted... What kind of novels? Stories about angry black girls. <laughs> I guess I, um, I was on this Toni Morrison kick, I think. But I got tired of... What I like about plays is that I got to tell different stories. I needed to escape, to use words other than my own, things I couldn't say, at least not then. I guess you can do that in novels, too, but... That one thing you wrote about the girl learning how to make jam? Did, did you ever finish that? Oh, Frida and the Summer Season. Yes, it premiered in Austin a few years ago. Very different from the version I started. What, what theater? Oh, it was a grad school. Did you like that class? <laughs> you know I didn't. How many afternoons did we spend at Cozy after class bitching? Sitting there trying to come up with ideas? You always used to chew on your sleeve while you were thinking, Oh, the sweats. You always wore those weird dad sweats, gnawing on that ratty sleeve. Ugh. But you always came up with something, didn't you? Didn't you? Beginner's luck, I guess. Oh? Is that what it was? I guess so. She stands and moves to leave. You told me at Cosi you didn't want to take any more playwriting classes. Oh, did I? You said you hated it as much as I did, but you didn't, did you? I guess I didn't. <laughs> I don't remember much. It's funny. You just said you did. Well, it was ten years ago. You remember that night in the reading room? The night before our final drafts were due? No. Not at all. I... I don't remember it at all. Aisha looks at Holly with a preternatural calm as if trying to hypnotize Holly or challenge her. Holly does not understand what she is sensing, but she's momentarily thrown off by it. She pivots. <sighs> What's weird about tonight is how cold it is. It was so hot in the spring semester. Do you think it's cold? It's usually warmer. It's cold. And, and in school, I lived in Manchester all four years. No AC. Everyone just walked around in gym shorts and sports bras. No fucks given. That's what I remember most about college. How fucking sweaty I was all the time while trying to cram for some bullshit. Post-colonial lit or whatever. But the reading room, Aisha, was like a spa, right? You had to wear a sweater. The AC was so intense. And the light. God, what a beautiful room. That was our spot, right? And we're in there with our laptops turned dim so the batteries won't die. And we're banging our heads on the bookshelves trying to come up with anything. You, like, wrote a whole new play that night, right? Why did you do that? I, I wondered... For so long, what you turned in. I was thinking for years it was the thing with the jam, but I remember you said you didn't like it. And, oh, Dr. Walper, yeah, Dr. Walper's comments were, like, really bitchy, right? Like, she hated it. And you were so stressed out about it. You really wanted her to like you, right? And she, like, wouldn't. You said you weren't going to take any more playwriting classes. So what was it? 
I don't. So your final. You like grabbed your laptop and went up to your room, and the next day you showed up with this full draft. Oh, and you looked so nice that day, like put together. So random. By the way, I, I like what you're doing with your hair now. You finally figured out what to do with it, girl. Congratulations. I asked you to send the draft to me, but you never did. I don't really remember. Of course what... you do. That's silly. You wrote it in one night. You said it's been a long time. There were a lot of plays. There have been a lot of late nights in the intervening years. But you said you weren't going to write anymore. Well, I was wrong. Well, I guess you lied. Do you remember what I wrote? I sent it to you over the summer, but I didn't hear back. I don't actually. I'm sorry, I don't remember.、Oh, well, that stings a little. <laughs> All those afternoons we spent it cozy. I just wanted your opinion. I guess I looked up to you. I don't understand how that's possible. Who wouldn't? One time when you were absent, Dennis said that your comments were the only ones that he ever paid any attention to. That pissed everyone off. I mean, what? Don't I have valid opinions about Afghanistan? He didn't give a shit. Surprised you guys didn't keep in touch. I didn't really keep in touch with a lot of people. Well, then why did you come to the reunion? I've been asking myself the same question. <laughs> I was hoping I'd see you. Are you being flip? Sorry, I can't. We were friends. Everything I say sounds sarcastic. Don't worry about it. We were friends, Aisha. Yes, of course, Holly. A long time ago, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I should. Things have been awesome for you. I've been very fortunate. Beginner's luck. Hey, before you go, I have a question for you. So you like. Hang out with famous people now, right? <laughs> no, not hardly. No, <laughs> I wish. Well, they were in your play. Well, yes. I mean, two of them were, but they're just regular people doing a job. Emma, Carrie, they're lovely, but they don't. We don't. I read an article that said while the play was running, Emma had all these famous friends drop by and hang out in her dressing room, like a lot of people from television, like. Did you meet Kathy Bates?、Uh, yes, briefly. So briefly, <laughs> I was so tongue-tied. I was a complete idiot. I don't get starstruck. At least I didn't used to. But she's just, she's Kathy Bates. And I was standing there in the hallway, stammering and blushing. Black people blush too. Don't get it twisted. And she was so gracious, but she was also so clearly over the interaction almost immediately. And she was so gracious, but she was also so clearly over the interaction almost immediately. And Angela Bassett. I didn't. There's a picture of you, of you and her and the cast. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We took a picture, but I didn't even get a chance to. She was talking to Carrie, so you know. Oh yes, of course, of course. <laughs> wow, so happy for you. So, what is she like? She's, she's wonderful. They're both wonderful. Carrie had been on Broadway years ago. She'd done New York theater, so she was just so great at taking Emma under her wing, and me too, I guess. But honestly, we didn't have a lot of interaction. It was a fairly short rehearsal process, even by off-Broadway standards. Plus, right after we opened, I had to go to L.A. Oh, I just had to take a couple of meetings for pilot season. Nothing came of it. I like how you say that. I had to take a couple of meetings. Are they turning the play into a movie? Oh no! Um, no. Then what were the meetings for? <laughs> I wish I could tell you. Actually, it's just a thing they do. You fly out and rent a car, and you get shown into this conference room, and there's six people sitting around, and they're all. You know, twelve years old, and everyone is very excited, and everyone is very nice, and 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 then what? And then you fly home. Sorry, <laughs> it's exciting. It's just been exhausting lately. But to answer your question, I would like to see Mrs. Harrison on screen. That's right. 
That's what it's called. I've been trying to remember all night. Yeah. Anyway, I... So what's next? Um, I have a couple plays I'm working on. Where? Oh, nowhere yet. I'm between agents right now, so I'm working on a screenplay, actually. I'm going to try to sell it. It's a, a biopic about Red Fox. Um, Just work. <laughs> this can't be interesting to you. <laughs> Red Fox? He was a comedian, black comedian. Sanford and Son? He was one of the first successful crossover black comics. I know who Red Fox is. Oh, okay. Well, Red has this joke. Um, I wish I liked white women. You see me with a white woman, I'm holding it for the police. <laughs> In like 1980, he's saying that to a room full of white people. Isn't it fascinating? The delicate line between telling the truth and being presentable. <laughs> One of the things I'm trying to write about is how, how you, how he could get away with what he did. Anyway, enough about me. What's going on with you, Holly? I tweeted at you once. Is that what's going on with you? I tweeted at you once on Twitter about old times, the library. Oh, I am not very active on Twitter. You tweeted at America Ferrari yesterday. Oh, yes, I'm a fan. You guys are friends? No. I wouldn't say that. She's weird. <laughs> I don't even know what I tweeted. You know how Twitter is. It's just, it's not like I have her phone number. Is that how celebrities talk to each other over Twitter? Seems kind of public. I really don't know, actually. I'm not a celebrity. Who's the most famous person you have in your phone? I have no idea. This is a new phone. I don't know. I don't really know a lot of famous people. But you know some. Yes. So? I don't know off the top of my head. Well, take out your phone and look. I don't think I'll do that. Carrie Washington? We saw each other in rehearsal, of course, but I don't have her number. Emma Roberts? It's work. You know, it's a job. You don't have your coworkers' numbers. I have some. Well. So? I'm sorry to disappoint you. The most famous person in my phone is Mara Wilson, the little girl from Mrs. Doubtfire. See? There you go. We did a show together. She has a storytelling show, and I got on it. She's very nice. She's a good writer, too, I've read. Uh-huh. Is that what you do? Storytelling? Sometimes. Is there a scene? There's a scene for everything. Is it, like, fiction, or... It's true stories. Like, have you heard of The Moth? No, I'm... it's a podcast. Anyway, I started doing stand up a few years ago, but now I mostly do storytelling because not everything is funny. Did you stop writing? No, I still write. Nothing you would have heard of. Well, you know, I've never had anything produced. It's but just about anybody will let you jump on a mic for five minutes. Sometimes even celebrities. You know, I had to stop showing up to comedy shows, though, because most of those motherfuckers, the guys, they don't want you there. They don't know what the fuck to do with you. And all the hacks want to do is complain about how they're not getting laid and then try their hands at rape jokes. Like, fuck face, the one might have something to do with the other. The latter might be causing the former. And they don't want to hear anything you have to say. Nothing I could say is ever going to be funnier than some gross 40-year-old's bit about his erectile dysfunction. Or the guy who talks about how a prostitute found a lump in his scrotum that turned out to be cancer. Horror, horror, horror. So I just started telling stories. To be honest, I did it because Tig Notaro was doing it. But nobody at an open mic wants to hear my bit about my crazy downstairs neighbor who keeps threatening to burn our building to the ground if they don't turn down the heat. <laughs> That's ironic, right? And I've got jokes about that, but I was tired of telling jokes about this dude who just wants one thing. He wants one goddamn thing and he can't get it. <laughs> but uh, a story doesn't have to be funny. Mara Wilson's really nice. Is that true? About the guy who, about the prostitute who found a lump in the... <laughs> yeah. God, I heard that act, what, eight years ago? Ten? I guess I was right out of college. Why do I still remember that? How did, how did he talk about it? What do you mean? Uh... He just, he just did the bit. 
this prostitute is down there doing prostitute stuff. And then she's like, uh, you have three balls. And he's like, what the fuck, ma'am? And she's like, you should get this checked out. And he did. And it was cancer. The end. It killed. The joke, I mean, he, did, he didn't die of cancer. Do you find that a lot of comedians are talking about how would you characterize? <laughs> Do you feel like women have a place in comedy? What is this, an interview? Sure, whatever. Sure they do. I just don't want to fight guys for mic time when people are expecting... When people go to comedy shows to hear dick jokes and prostitute cancer jokes and my girlfriend's a bitch jokes. Like, I'm not trying to be the Hillary Clinton of stand-up comedy. It's not that serious. So I tell stories. How do you prepare for an act, say a comedy act? Do you write it out or do you... Sorry, I've been spending a lot of time listening to comedians for the script. I'm intrigued by the semantic mystique of it all. I don't know about a semantic mystique. Some people are just funny. Some people are good at saying funny shit. I'm okay at it. That's interesting. Is it? Yes. I'm fascinated by you. Oh. Thank you. So you didn't like the comedy scene? No. Plus, my parents were constantly asking me why they spent 100 k for me to get a B.A. in English if I was just going to tell jokes to strangers for the rest of my life. <laughs> I was like, you think any idiot can make all these witty similes for my menstrual flow? My period is like shark week. It happens once a year because I'm on this new medication. What? <laughs> Are you expecting something different? I'm kidding. I would never tell a period joke. <laughs> What kind of jokes do you tell? Knock-knock jokes. Really? No. It's just general stuff. Just me wandering around talking about my day. Literally, I talk about that guy who wants to burn my building down because it's too hot for 20 minutes. Or like, I don't know, normal stuff? Like, I'm going out of town this weekend, so don't try to reach me for a few days. Or ever. Don't try to reach me ever. Lose my number. I don't understand phone calls. I use my phone exclusively to check my Facebook and to avoid eye contact with everyone anywhere all the time. I wish my Facebook could just be me. Just my posts. Is that weird? Like, I don't really care about other people's opinions about the president or what they watched on TV last night. I definitely don't care about their babies. Every day? Do we need a picture every day? Look how big he's getting. Did he gain 20 pounds overnight? That I want to see. But your stupid baby? Never. I don't even look at myself every day. I don't own a mirror. I literally haven't seen my own face in 36 hours. Am, am I looking okay? Oh, who the fuck cares? I don't need anyone else on Facebook. Well, I need them. But I don't want to see them. I just want them to like what I post and get the fuck out of there and leave me alone. Is that what it's like to be a dictator? I'm okay with that. I see the beauty in that. I'm not saying Kim Jong-un has all the right ideas, but... Man, that haircut, though. Sheesh, get a mirror, nerd. <laughs> Thank you. Tip your waitress. That's really funny. You are very funny. Did you write that? No, I stole it verbatim from Sarah Silverman. Really? Not really. Yeah, that's like my thing. Used to be my thing. It's like that. Is all that written out? Do you have it written out somewhere? No. Some of it. But most of it I just... I just know. Sometimes I change it. I need a better punchline for that dictator, but with Kim Jong-un. You could say, I'm not saying he has all the right ideas, but you have to admit the man knows how to stay on message. See? The semantic mystique. <laughs> I'm sorry. That must be annoying. People must do that to you all the time. I have an aunt that literally sends me jokes she finds on Pinterest all the time. Like, maybe you can use this in your act. My father is always texting me ideas for plays. Did you know that there was a black man who shut himself in a box and shipped himself to freedom during slavery? You should write a play about that. <laughs> Where does he find this stuff? Where do you get your ideas? All over. Articles, conversations, talk shows. 
I actually started writing about the guy who shipped himself to freedom. Sometimes those texts aren't half bad ideas. <laughs> he, Why didn't you ever contact me after we graduated? What did you want me to say? I read about your play and I... I just wondered if you... Aisha? I... I keep reading all these articles about Mrs. Harrison. I search it on Google. There's so much. I've read all the reviews, even random blogs and stuff. I've read everything about that play. I've read every interview you've given. I've read everything. I've been Googling it for two years now. Why didn't you respond to my tweet? Why didn't you ever contact me? And what did you want me to say to you? I... We were friends, Aisha. Why are you... you... I was always telling you stories. We told each other stories. I still remember that story you told me about your mother and grandmother bickering about the proper way to stuff a turkey, how it landed on the floor and your aunt ordered a pizza. That's a lot of information, Holly. I feel like I should be nervous. Holly. Please, please don't be like that. You told me everything. We told each other everything. I don't think you're remembering correctly. I... What don't I remember? I don't know. What are you referring to? What? Aisha. Are you serious? We were friends. Holly tries to muster the courage to plow ahead. Aisha smiles. Holly is disarmed. She shrinks. It's just been a long time. I tell everyone that pizza story. It's my go-to story. Not to say just... I tried. I put a lot of undergrad behind me. Surely you understand. We weren't ourselves, so... I'd completely forgotten about Dr. Wolper's class until you reminded me. All that stuff about Afghanistan, those ugly critiques... I'm sorry I didn't keep in touch. Holly. I'm sorry I didn't keep in touch, Holly. It's just really strange, you know? To see... To read about... When my mother saw Frida and the summer season, she told me that so much of it reminded her of the relationship she had with her grandmother. Even though the details were different... There's a universality to the human experience. Story bridges the gaps between us. Story fills in the blanks, the vagaries of emotion, the blurriness of hindsight. I love that. You must know that as a storyteller. We can feel a connection to a story, even though there isn't one. I mostly tell funny stories. Okay. With your jokes, then. Don't they make you feel... Uh... Jokes are about having a problem. Oh, okay. Jokes are about being in the middle of a situation. My family drives me crazy. Facebook annoys the fuck out of me. Babies are stupid. That's the joke. I tell the joke. Every time I tell the joke, I'm in the middle of the problem. I never get out. Comedy is purgatory. Stories have an end. That's what I mean about it not having to be funny. My family drives me crazy, but babies are terrible, but Facebook is still stupid. There's no story there. That's good. That's really interesting. Comedy is purgatory. That's remarkable. Did you... Is that an original thought? No, Sarah Silverman again. Really? No, it's me. <laughs> I think. Comedy is purgatory. Put that in your Red Fox movie. May I? Why do you do it? Do what? Comedy. Why stay in purgatory? Oh, I... I don't... I'm... I'm... I'm doing other stuff now. Mara Wilson show, remember? I'm a star. <laughs> She finishes her cocktail and puts her glass down on the sink. 
So what's it like to get out? I'm sorry? A purgatory. You tell stories now, not comedy. What's it? What does that sound like? Holly eyes Aisha. She's about to give up and leave. Everything about her says, fuck it. Then Aisha smiles. It's so lovely and yet so... Aisha seems a mystery to Holly in this moment. This infuriates her. She decides to stay. Are you asking me to tell you a story? I think that would be really great. Oh. So the show, the Mara Wilson show, it's called What Are You Afraid Of? People tell stories about things that terrify them. It's a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> I think talking about the things that are the worst about being alive is what makes it the most fun, right? Not to sound like a Zen Cohen or whatever. I'm not sure that's really a Zen Cohen. I said, or whatever. <laughs> anyway, I'm afraid of heights, okay? That's the thing you have to know about me. And I know a lot of people are afraid of heights, but it still feels stupid to say it every time I say it, which is once an hour, because I'm really interested in attention. But it feels dumb, right? Like some people are afraid of spiders or bears or other perfectly reasonable things to be afraid of. I have an aunt who is afraid of minorities. <laughs> but heights? Come on, man. I'm afraid of the air. Oh, my God. I'm afraid of the ground being far away from me. Like, why do I have a codependent relationship with the ground? Why am I the Earth's needy girlfriend? I don't like it when you go away, Pookie. The Earth has a job. It's got a baby mama. It's got friends it wants to see. I need to just chill out. I need to fall back. Not literally, though. I don't know what it is that I'm afraid of. Gravity? Plummeting to my death? Just... Being up in the air? So there's a longer version or a shorter version. Do you want... Which do you want? Brevity is the soul of wit. So, Alec is definitely not afraid of heights. Alec is my boyfriend. Well, my ex-boyfriend. Now he's my fiancé. He's also this six-foot-four, rugged, outdoorsy Australian fisherman. He's actually kind of perfect. Except he's missing an arm. He was eaten by an alligator. Aisha buys this. She's shocked and immediately drawn in. There's a sort of deliciousness for her in Holly's strangeness and unreserved revelations. Holly's confidence is bolstered by Aisha's interest. I'm just kidding. It, it, it just never grew. It's really gross. So I'm dating this freak of a human. <laughs> And we're total opposites. He loves hiking and camping and breathing fresh air. And I like watching Netflix on the couch until my muscles atrophy. I don't think we share a single interest except each other. We're like super into each other, which is gross to me, actually. Anyway, when two gross freaks like each other very much, they decide to get married for immigration reasons. Aisha is judging. This woman takes a lot of liberties. Holly registers this. She takes it in stride. She's been judged before. That wasn't really the reason, but it kind of was. His citizen status was basically a shrug emoji, and he wasn't super concerned about it, but it was stressing me out. So I kept saying we should just get married and be done with it. Alec is also a fucking romantic because I really can't catch a break, and he's against the idea of a green card wedding. It's not special, mate. It has to be special. That's what he sounds like. That's actually a really good impression of him. He sounds like somebody who's really bad at impressions doing a terrible Australian impression. Globalism. So one day he's like, let's go for a picnic this weekend. And I'm like, here we fucking go. He's going to pop the question. It's going to be a whole fucking to do. And let me say, when you're a woman who doesn't really care about the magic of her proposal, you feel like a traitor. Like I told my sister that I thought Alec was going to propose on this picnic and she starts screaming in public. Like, she starts having a mental breakdown, and the barista is like, can you not? And then my sister is like, she's getting engaged! And then the barista starts screaming. Everyone is screaming. It's like 9-11 inside this Starbucks. Aisha turns cold immediately. Audiences always have a mix of emotions when Holly says this line. Shocked laughter is the most common. But something about Aisha's disapproval is disrupting for Holly. Aisha, for her part, decides to challenge. So... The barista's like, aren't you excited? 
And I didn't have the heart to tell her, like, no. And if I feel like I had said no, she would have thrown hot coffee on me. So I just looked at her and started screaming. The weekend comes, and Alec and I drive out to the country. We we get out of the car at the edge of this field, and Alec is like, put these blindfold on. It's amazing how many romantic things are also things that kidnappers would do. So I tie a rag around my head, and I put the lotion on the skin because I don't want the hose again. We walk for what feels like 12 years. Like that movie? Oh, God. I'm going to cut that line. It never works. I keep... She resumes... Aisha projects a new emotion, a sort of bemused surprise. She's used to constant microaggressions, but this, this story's audacity is almost impressive. Anyway, we're walking, and every time I stumble, Alec giggles. He giggles. He is loving the shit out of this. What a fucking psychopath. Eventually, he stops me, and I'm getting the sense that there's something near us, but I can't figure out what it is. And I, I hear this sound. Like a rush of air, like a horse snorting, but bigger. And my brain thinks, oh, it's a dragon. Seriously, that was my first thought. My idiot brain is like, clearly we are dragon adjacent. And I'm super psyched about that because I'm cool with magical beasts. Anyway, I'm like, can I take this cut up t-shirt off my head, please? Because I really want to see the dragon. And Alec makes me step onto a platform and I hear the click of a gate and then the dragon snorts. And I realize that just before Alec yanks the blindfold off, we're on a balloon. And I'm afraid of heights. We start rising and now I am screaming. The barista would be so proud. And Alec, that fucking rube, thinks I'm excited. And I'm watching the ground get farther and farther away. And the Mexican guy running the balloon is giving me this shit-eating grin. And I'm like, this is actually a kidnapping. This is a gang of immigrant terrorists. It's amazing how quickly you become a xenophobe. I'm freaking out because not only am I being kidnapped, but there is no dragon. And just then, Alec whips something out of his pocket. Aisha watches with great interest, no longer concerned with the content of the story, but compelled by Holly's desperate struggle to regain control, like a driver fishtailing on black ice. And my idiot, actually impaired, fear-choked brain thinks, obviously he is holding a gun, and I'm clinging with both hands to the rope, but I peel one hand away and use it to shove him back and knock the gun out of his hand. And he swats at it with his stump arm, but of course he misses it. And I see it fly up over the side of the balloon basket and start to fall to the ground. And that's when I realize that the gun is actually a ring box plummeting to the earth while we sail away. So, yeah. Is that true? Did you really do all that? Most of it. You see a ring on my finger? <laughs> and some of it I exaggerated. I like that. You exaggerated to, to make it more true. The ending, just so you know, the ending is usually better. Like, you're supposed to laugh at the end of the story. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, like I said, it's very funny. I know. It's not you. I told that story like 30 times. It's like my story. The ending is usually better. Just saying. It's fine. I'm sure you're very good. Yeah. Thanks. Y you can look it up on YouTube or whatever. There's a couple of videos. Most of my stories are on there. You should look it up. Are they all like that one? I've told a ton. Told stories about everything. <laughs> told a ton of stories. Sometimes I think I don't have any fucking thing left to talk about. You ever worry about that? I'm like, is this it? You know? I don't know. Told basically every story I can think of. Well, except one. I never told anyone the story about the time my family's mate died. Never told anyone except you. In the reading room that night. That's what I told you. Is it? I told you about Betty. I told you, I never told anyone that before. That night, I told you, and Cozy, and you- In the Cozy, or the reading room? Uh, the, the reading room, um, 
I misspoke. I think you're getting confused. No, no. I, I told you my story and you took it. You took it. Holly stares for a second and then pushes past Aisha and goes for her purse on the floor. She rips a playbill out of it and foists it in Aisha's face. I saw it. I couldn't believe it. I kept reading articles about it. I couldn't believe it. It sounded so similar. So I went to see it just to make sure. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm a fucking lunatic. Maybe I'm delusional. But I sat there and I swear to God, it was like I was watching my own life. That's my story. That happened to me. And I told you that. And you, it was so, it's so confusing to me because I liked it so much. I cried at the end like you're supposed to. And I stood up and I clapped just like everyone else around me. I, I took a picture of my program and I posted it on Instagram. Like, why? I was so confused. I couldn't stop thinking about it, how good it was, how much it made me think, how it made me feel. Made me feel so good. It's so good. And when I think that, I feel like a fucking sap, like some fucking rube who doesn't know when someone's gotten one over on her. I love that fucking play. I would see it again. And also hate it. That's my story. And I hate that story. And I love that story. Hate that you stole it. I didn't steal anything. That's my story. Just want to know why. I wish you had, like, emailed me. To say what? Hello. How are you? I'm going to ransack your life and make a lot of money off of it. You'd be surprised by how little you make off of writing a play. <sighs> Can I be frank with you, Holly? I really don't remember. How can you not remember? Because I forgot. Is that really your answer? <laughs> Real fucking eloquent. Honestly, I don't really appreciate your tone. My tone? We came here to have fun. See a couple old friends sneak into a bathroom, old time's sake. You're making this bad. Why did you steal my story? There's no way you just thought of that on your own. Aisha locks the bathroom door. Aisha is focused not so much on the person in the room with her, but on the vestiges of the people they once were on this campus. She eyes Holly's purse. She pushes it away with her foot. Why do people always say that? You can't have thought of that on your own. With such conviction. As if the idea of my imagination is inconceivable. But you didn't imagine it. As if I stumbled into writing out of sheer dumb luck. You said yourself. And stitched together a career out of table scraps I foraged from other people's truths like a field mouse. You stole it. This one, you stole it from me. Were you waiting in here for me? I saw you. I came in. You saw me out in the tent. Did I? I know you did. Okay. You did. You say so. Why are you acting like this? I'm acting like myself. You're a stranger. I don't know what you want from me. I want you to admit it. I know I told you that story. It didn't just come out of nowhere. I want you to say it. Well, you know the fable about the scorpion and the turtle. What are you doing? Do you know it? Now we'll both drown. I think it's the scorpion and the frog. No, it's the scorpion and the turtle. Scorpion ambles up to a riverbank and looks across at the rippling surface of the water and the shore on the other side. Scorpion wants something. Scorpion makes a plan. Down the bank a ways is a frog, just about to dive into the river. The scorpion approaches, real nice, real easy. Scorpion says, Carry me across on your back, friend. Frog says, But you are a danger to me. You'll sting me once I've done you a favor. I know the story. Scorpion says, I won't, friend. Look over across the river in the brush. That pair of beady eyes, that flash of crimson fur. There is a fox awaiting you on the other side. He was once to eat you up. He wants to tear you limb from limb. But I want to sting that fox. He is the enemy 
of us both. Fare me across and I will sting him before he can eat you. The frog considers this. What a stroke of luck. What fortune to have found a friend in this world. The frog agrees. The scorpion climbs atop the frog and they both dive into the river. The fox watches uneasily from the other side. The frog swims out to the middle of the river when suddenly she feels the scorpion's bladed tail gouge her flesh. The frog cries out, You have broken your promise! Your sting will kill me! Why have you done this? Now we'll both drown! The scorpion replies, I can't help it. It's in my nature. Right, like I said, the scorpion and the frog. Earlier that day, a turtle ambles up the bank of the river. The turtle spies the scorpion before she's even near. The scorpion approaches, real nice, real easy. Scorpion says, Carry me across on your back, friend. There is a fox on the other side that is the enemy of us both. But I can keep us safe if you'll help me. The turtle turns its long neck to look at the scorpion square in the eye. Turtle says to the scorpion, Fuck you, I can swim. And she slips into the silver surface of the river and makes her way downstream. She tilts her long neck back and spies the fox in the brush and the impotent scorpion on the shore. If turtles had middle fingers, she would have flipped them the bird. Instead, she grins her cryptic turtle grin, dips below the rippling current, and the fox and the scorpion never see her again. So you're the turtle. What do you think? So who am I? The scorpion? I don't know. Maybe you're not in the story at all. Why would you tell me a story if I'm not in it? Because it was a story about me. I'm... I'm... Just a second. Mrs. Harrison is a story that came from inside of me. And who I used to be, it's mine. It's sad, but I'm sure I'm not the only person who thought to write a play about a black maid who chokes to death on a kitchen floor. So... Heart attack. In the play... In the play, in your play, Betty Harrison has a heart attack. In real life, Betty Jackson, a maid, choked to death on the floor of 1517 Greenmount. It's a big blue house at the end of a long cul-de-sac. It has white shutters. The shutters were red until 1989 when the Homeowners Association made a new rule. All shutters had to be white, and the name of each family had to be painted on the mailbox. And at 1517 Greenmount, the name that's painted on the mailbox is Palmer, which is my last name. I guess you think you got me. Are we done? So? What do you say when people ask you how you got the idea for the play? So what do you tell them? I wrote a play about a kindly black maid who loves a little white girl and comes to a tragic end. No one has ever asked me how I got this idea. I don't... I don't understand what that means. Well, I can't help you. The way you talk? So disrespectful. Did you know that? It was the same with Dennis Talbot. In Dr. Wolper's class, every word was a weapon. Every single word speaking to me with such contempt, explaining my own plays to me. White people will always try to undermine you. They can't help it. That's a very racist thing to say. Sometimes racist things are true, though. That's disgusting. You're just so angry and... Oh, am I? You said it yourself. Honey, the things that I can say that you shouldn't... Is that why you stole my story? Because it's a black story? Is it a black story? I think you think it is. You don't know me. There's a black character and a white character. Why would it be a black story? I don't know. It's the way you wrote it. Oh, I wrote black. No, you wrote... It's so stereotypical. It's not real. But I thought it happened to you. What happened to me was real. What you wrote is stereotypical. So I guess they're different stories. Oh, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe you're playing games. You never... You never had ideas like this in class. You never wrote about... You don't know what I wrote. You don't know me. I was there. I read what you wrote back then. Very different. You changed. And this person, this act you're putting on, 
I don't know who you think you're fooling. Not me. You were a weird, squirrely, dirty girl writing about her mom. Aisha lunges forward. You don't know me. Holly jumps back, knocking over the vase on the cabinet. She stops, startled. You don't know me. You're a liar. You're a liar. What are you... What are you going to do? What do to you? You don't know me at all. She sets the vase right and walks away. Okay, Holly? If it's your story, prove it. How? Tell me what happened. Tell me what I stole. I already told you a long time ago. I don't remember. Holly eyes Aisha, still blocking the door. She panics for a moment and then turns and shuts herself in the stall. What are you doing? You're making me uncomfortable. I loved Betty. You don't understand. We loved each other. She was my maid from when I was four. She was like a second mother to me. She was so dark-skinned, but she had the brightest smile. She would always smile when she saw me. She was always happy to see me. She made me feel so good. Holly opens the stall door. She has a defeated air about her. She emerges. You're telegraphing the end. Tell me what it was like then. I... What was it like, specifically, that day? It was... It was regular. I came home from school, like normal, gave her a kiss, and went to watch TV in the living room. She was making dinner. I could smell it already. I think I thought I heard something. I don't care what you did. Tell me what Betty did. I... I don't know. Do you want me to tell you what happens in the play? She was making dinner at the stove. And she was eating an orange. And... I don't know. Maybe she heard me call in to ask if I could taste. But she didn't answer. And... That's how I knew something was up. I walked into the kitchen, and I found her lying on her back on the floor. There's a half-eaten orange in her hand, and she was gasping for air. That's all. Betty Jackson was making you dinner and eating an orange, and then she died in front of you. I froze. I don't know why. I've never known why. By the time I snapped out of it, Betty was dead. I called 911 and I told them I just found her dead. My parents rushed home and I told them I just found her dead. And I never told anyone. I never said I'd seen her die. Until I told you. I don't want to own this story. I'm not proud of this story. That's not what I remember. You're a liar. Would you have ever admitted it if I hadn't caught you? What? You said Betty choked in your play. Would you ever have admitted it if I hadn't caught you? You didn't catch me. Did you really think I forgot what happened in my own play? I know what happens in Mrs. Harrison. Oh, so you tricked me. I wanted to see how much you cared about her. You still lied to me. The way you told me. Such glee. Glee. It destroyed me. You were gleeful in the room. I wasn't. You were, you were hungry. You were so excited to finally have something to write about. Oh, God. Every play, another rehash of your relationship drama. But this... This was different. Something actually happened to you. The first time I heard it, I knew then that I had to do it. I wrote Mrs. Harrison in one night, all at once. But you knew that. I wrote it because I knew you wouldn't do it justice. You thought it was a story about you. It was never about you. It was about Betty, and you had no idea. You didn't even bother to change the name. Why would I? No one would ever tell this dead black woman story. I could reach into every theater slush pile and find a dozen stories of white girls coming of age, but no one is interested. No one is equipped to tell Betty's story. Except you. I tried. I'm not equipped either. 
I'm closer to you than her now, but I tried. She deserves something better. Than me? Yes, than you. She always deserved better than you. And you still don't know that. You never knew that woman, and you haven't spent a moment trying to. Do you ever wonder about her without wondering about yourself in the same thought? You have no idea who she was. You don't either. So much of what you wrote is so ridiculous. She never had an accent. She didn't have a daughter. She never refused to comb my hair. She combed my hair every day after school. This is what you care about still? This is who she was. You have no idea who she was. You watched a woman die and then spent 20 years trying to convince yourself you were the hero of the story because you loved her. I did love her. What makes you think you know? Was your mother a maid? Is that what this is? My mother is a doctor. My mother is a doctor. And her mother was a seamstress. And her grandmother was a sharecropper. You don't get to know me. I'm not part of your story. I'm in my story. And I am no longer interested in playing the villain in my own story. You stole her. You never even knew her. I know her. I have more right to her life than you ever will. I know every woman like her. I am Betty Harrison. Aisha breaks through the boundary of the stage. Water bursts forth from every sink at once. Aisha continues to walk toward an exit. You always remembered me, didn't you? I always remembered Betty. Her face was burned into my mind, even though I never met her. I see her still now, but you? I forget about you the moment I leave that room. End of play. Thanks for listening. Ashland New Plays Festival Play for Keeps podcast is produced in beautiful Ashland, Oregon by me, Andy Neal, and Cara Quinn-Lewis, with written content edited by Carol Florian. Many thanks to all of our listeners and AMPF members who help support new works for the stage and for this podcast. If you'd like to join AMPF's amazing community of supporters, make now your time to become a member. When you join through April 15th, your gift will be matched by a generous donor. Go to ashlandnewplays.org for more information today. You can also support us by helping spread the word about AMPF and the Play for Keeps podcast initiative. Write a review on Apple Podcasts or find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Be sure to like, follow, share, and subscribe. I'm your host, Andy Neal. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Ashland New Place Festival Play for Keeps podcast. <laughs>